10 to 20 years as farriers we maybe haven't picked up on those early signs. The contributing factors to winning or losing, you know. And it was a 24, 48 hour temporary fixing. You are you are testing your ability to shoot that horse to its and, and this question very much kind of like sits underneath that. So, um, so yeah, so then on top because, um, you know, once I did that, uh, there are so many benefits to doing it that I could not understand why I would. Welcome to the Lockdown Farriers podcast, the Farrier learning resource where we deliver the skills, knowledge and behaviours for today's modern professional working farrier. Welcome back to the Farrier's Lockdown Podcast and a happy 2023. It's been a while. I know it's been very, very busy couple of months, obviously since all the Farrier Focus podcasts we um, did for the BFBA. One of the things we've covered a lot on the podcast, um, certainly for diploma and associate exams, is exam preparation, which is pretty much where I've been at for the last couple of months. Um, with exams coming up soon more about that after it's happened obviously with mandatory CPD now being in the UK the BFBA um, have put together quite an intensive um, forecast of CPD events over the next few months check out the website and um, look in the events and hopefully we've got quite a few varied events planned which some of you may be interested in. Again, we'll talk more about that on a later episode. Coming up at the end of the month, we've got the Cav Pairs competition down in London. I'm hopefully, because <clears throat> I'm competing on an early round, hopefully going to take some recording equipment down there and hopefully capture some interviews and maybe try and make an episode out of it. Weekend after that, 3rd and 4th of march we've got the atf cpd day at hereford school of farry for atfs approved training farriers um should be a good day we normally have a good good range of talks and it's just great to get to talk to the atfs of the apprentices we get to train um obviously the day after that we've got the master and apprentice competition which is a big thing in the calendar at hereford school of farry Hopefully see many people there. Like ever, you know, the shoeing class got filled up very, very quickly. And there are still a few spaces for the first and second year master and apprentice shoemaking class. If you're interested in doing it, get your entries in as soon as possible. So then, this episode, I got to sit down with my good friend and ex-colleague, Wayne Priest, FWCF. And last time... We got together, we spoke at length about navicular disease. This time we're talking about bone spavin. Obviously a condition which affects many horses in the hind limb. Um, Again, and there's a lot of misconceptions and myths about this one. 
I think because A, there is a shoe known as the spavin shoe, which was a traditional shoe used for spavin in the old workhorse days. Not necessarily relevant in these days of arena surfaces. Um, But again, we we tried to, when we talked about the treatment and the horseshoeing protocols for bone spavin, tried to spell some of the myths and some of the more modern thinkings of how to treat this condition. Spavin. Yep. Um... We're, we're trying to, we're trying to stick to the kind of normal template um so how would we define spavin um what, well what would your take on a definition be wayne my take on it would be it's a osteoarthritic condition of the distal lock joints um ranging in severity uh ranging in position um Depending on what joints are involved depends on severity. Yeah. Uh, I think we get hooked up on everything being itis. I think when we actually get to advanced bone spavin, we've gone past itis, we've gone past inflammation. Yeah. Uh, and now we're into arthrosis. Yeah. I mean, I think that's. Um, I always like. It's like a lot of these things. It. It's. Same with side bone and even laminitis was an acute phase and was a chronic mm. phase, was an after sort of like effect of, you know, caused by the loss of function. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think some, some things, I mean, I've got like a scripted definition of bone spabbing being a degenerative joint disease, DJT, or yeah. osteoarthritis affecting the hot joint of the hind limb. It's commonly more seen in types of work which use hind limb more and is normally seen in the 8 to 14 age range. Now, I think where I find a lot of people getting confused, a lot of students getting confused, is there's a lot of different terminology we use in it. Yeah. Um, you know, DJD, osteoarthritis, then we've got this name Spavin. Yes, it is a DJD. Yes, there is osteoarthritis, but the spavin thing just pertains to the location it's at. Yeah, I mean, I know you can get knee spavins, um, but spavin to me is basically an ost- like an arthritic condition, if you will, a DJD of the lower op joints. Um, and then we get things like bog spavin, which is a synovial distension, Uh we get this thing called blood spavin, which is an enlarged venous vein. Yeah. Um, but when you're talking about true true spavin, then the only real true spavin, I think, is, is bone spavin. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it up because, <clears throat> again, teaching this at college um, not so long ago, there was a lot of confusion because it was these different classifications which had the word spavin in it, which doesn't actually really pertain to... Um, bone spavin itself. Yes, I mean, there might be a bit of distension with the joint capsule, mm. so you might see it a bog spavin, but again, bog spavin's an idiopathic synovitis. Exactly. It doesn't cause lameness. It's just a telltale sign that there's something going on there, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Same as wingles, furrowpins, stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> but again, these, these other things like jack spavin, blood spavin, <clears throat> like you said, 
Blood spavin is just an enlarged... It's like a varicose vein, if you like, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's just an enlarged venous vein. Um, but Jack spavin is related to bone spavin in the position of it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I was always taught that a Jack spavin was... The only the only difference from normal true spavin is the location. It's mm. more to the side of the joint, whether that's medial or lateral. Mm. Um, rather than being on the you know the dorsal distal aspect of the joint, yeah. Uh, so it's more lateral, medially situated, and the only thing I was really taught when I was young was the prognosis was a little bit poorer. Yeah. Because of the effect on the collateral ligaments of the joint. Yeah. Um, apart from that, it's it's no real difference to any other type of spavin. Um, <clears throat> and I, I think, and again most people listening to this will understand about the anatomy of the hot joint. The hot joint's a multi-layered joint. Yeah. There's many bones within it. We can actually shut off the function of one of those and still have a a range of movement within that joint still, hence why horses which have had spavin and when we end up with that level of joints fusing, <clears throat> sorry, um, it can go on and still have a, slightly less than work in life but it can still go and perform and do stuff yeah um, it's, it's not career ending is it no you know depending on the level that the horse is obviously working at um i mean the lower distal joint especially of the ob joint are you know the the gliding joint basically uh, or slab joints wherever you want to call them there's very little real movement in them there's a bit of rotation a bit of shear um but they are kind of prone to compression a lot mm. which can cause them damage but they're not eye motion joints like the podotrochlear joint or the um the tarsal crural joint in the oc yeah exactly you know so um so anatomically it's normally the um tarsal metatarsal joint yeah and the distal intertarsal joint yeah better ones more commonly affected they're the common ones yeah really yeah. they really are yeah and that they you know like we just said they are the, of all the joints within the joint are quite low motion aren't they yeah yeah so um this is why the horse can still function when it's got quite bad fusing taking place and we're in the chronic sort of stage of it um also from an anatomical sort of positional perspective i suppose um would you say it's a bilateral condition or more of a unilateral condition uh, my personal experience is it's a bilateral condition mm. but it does manifest worse on one leg at a time yeah. the horse will tend to show lameness signs or stiffness on one limb and then overload the next limb yeah, uh, the collateral limb, and then vice versa, until it becomes um, more advanced, and then it is bilateral. You can see it's on both at the same time. Well, I mean, I mean, this goes down. We spoke about this at length when we talked about navicular. <clears throat> These conditions normally end up bilateral because one got it first. Yeah. Then the horse, which is a great compensator, starts to use the other one more. And then it, that pathology kind of catches up, if you like. Especially, if, and we'll talk about causes in a bit. But if it's due to sort of poor confirmation and it's got it in both limbs, it's you know it's a bit yeah. of a dead cert, isn't it? Yeah, and I think confirmation is a main. He's still a main factor. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think 
we'll get on to causes in a second. In fact, we'll get on to causes now. I think, you know, pretty much every pathology, certainly joint or locomotive sort of related, um, confirmation, when you, when you come to writing your answers in an exam situation, your number one cause is always going to be confirmation. Yeah, I mean, the, the build of the horse, especially when we're talking confirmation, we're talking about how the joint's made, how the way it's stacked, the orientation of it, the function of it, what it's prone to mechanical-wise. Um, when we think of the op joint especially, it's, it's in the middle of the iron leg. Mm. It's probably one of the most abused and used joints in the horse, especially when we're riding and we, we're using them for some of the sports we use, racing, jumping, etc., dressage, where we're actually expecting the horse to do exaggerated movements coming from the back end. That that arc joint, when you take it as an entirety, is really prone to some forces going through it. Well, it's the engine end, isn't it? It is. You know, we can't get away from that. Horses are real wheel drives. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I feel... <clears throat> You know, it's a joint which is under a lot of stress and strain and poor confirmation, well, depends on the confirmation, poor confirmation is just going to add to that stress and strain. Yeah, it, it just exasperates everything that, it, that it's going through. So, um, <clears throat> and again, like with most of these things, the next type of cause you're going to look into is the type of work. So what types of work do we more comment? I mean, any horse could get spavin or pony, but what types of work do we more commonly sort of relate spavin to? I think it depends on, you know, your location uh, and what the horses round you are used for. I mean, I used to see it a lot in, in show jumpers, um, especially when they're advanced. I, I see it in dressage horses again, as they're becoming advanced and they're expected to do more but like i talked to a lot of the the american guys they see it in reining horses yeah especially um so i think when you've got real exaggerated movements that involve the og joint and you add that to poor confirmation it is almost a recipe for disaster yeah and i think i think when we and something which is going to crop up when we talk about shoes and treatment is the old-fashioned ways if you like I think we used to see it back back before motor car was invented. Uh, I think we used to see it. Even I don't go back that far. <laughs> well, I read a book once, and it's, it's said. Um, but again, when you you look in some of these old textbooks and you see these uh, drawings and black and white image is a very very ossified horse. Yeah. You know, these are back from the old cart horse days. Horses yeah. pulling loads on the road. You know, and again, you've got a horse with a wagon full of beer barrels yeah. going up a cobbled street. It's trying to drive from behind. Yeah. Push itself into the yoke to get going. Yeah. The amount of strain that goes through that joint must be immense. Exactly. You know, and obviously, you know, most horses in this country don't pound the roads like we used to. No, but no. again, I think when we used to shoe horses in our earlier in our careers where people were pounding the roads because A, they thought it hardened up the tendons. Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> And also, they you know they didn't have the availabilities of school, so a lot of their fitting work was done on the roads. That concussive, we used to see a lot more spavin back then. I think. Yeah, I do feel like we see less and less. Yeah, and I I I throw all this some other DJDs in there like Ringbone and things yeah, like exactly. 
we see less of them now than we used to. Well, funny, the ones we do see, we do see a lot of changes within the coffin joint. We do see some bony changes, but most of the hot problems we deal with nowadays are related to suspensory. I see a lot more soft tissue injuries yeah. now. I mean, I know, I know um, some of the clinical signs we see with spavin, sometimes, you know, but certainly when we started getting a lot more diagnosis of higher suspensory mm-hmm. problems behind, you know, some of the clinical signs we see as far as are very, very similar to those of yeah. early stages of bone spavin. And someone once did say to me that it was due to the insertion of the origin, if you like, of the suspensory ligament, that the horse basically feels as if it's got the same sort of um, pain sort of area going on because it it, um, sort of like attach um, originates slightly medial, bottom of the um, hock. But a lot of horses sort of basically do sort of move away from that area like they would do in a case of spavin yeah so it kind of can show the same clinical signs yeah and i think when when, it, when you've got proximal suspensory desmitis especially in the iron limb they do seem to present with this thing called like compartment i can't even say compartmentalization yes syndrome because there is so much tissue tied in there mm. that when it becomes inflamed it's trying to swell it's got just got nowhere to swell too yeah so the horse then has to adapt a different stance and gait, which are very similar, Yeah, as you said, to, to early onset bounce spamming, because yeah. that's what the horse does, doesn't it? It changes its, its stance, and then it changes its gait accordingly. Well, funny enough, I've, I also find, I mean, I remember shooting a lot of dressage horses with this sort of like yeah, 15 years ago, and I think that was when we started seeing more and more whip across lateral extension bar shoes. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, because originally back in them days, a lot of people shod suspensory um, desmitis with an egg bar. And then someone said to me around about that time, well, if, yes, you're right, but you kind of need to shoot as if it's got spab as well. So you need to whack a lateral extension mm. into that. Yeah, Obviously, lateral extension egg bars, they don't look very nice. But the thing with the whip across bar shoe, you can still fit the shoe with length, get up into the frog state to support that with the bar, and mm. um, you've got the lateral support because they do tend to walk on the outside yeah. lateral hill. Yeah, and it's a good shoe for both. The only the only thing I would pull up about, uh, about these shoes, is, and this is a little tip to some of the younger farriers especially, is if you've got a big corner, especially on the outside heel sticking out, as I see some of them made as specimens, that's non-functional. No. I Well, I've recently, <clears throat> and I was talking about specimen shoes earlier, one of the ones I've made for the board is, I, I was looking at these the other day. Now, I mean, I'm as guilty as, as you are for going down this route and it gets more and more exaggerated. Take away the bar... If we're mm. going to fit a lateral hill extension, what kind of hill choice are we going to put on it? I would always have a... For me, it's got to be a re, like a reverse check. Yeah, exactly. So so you've got the width without the length. Well, it's not even... I remember having a discussion, and I, I want to say it was with Jim Ferry. I'm pretty sure it was with Jim Ferry. Well, don't quote me on that. 
And we were talking about reverse heel checks, and he was on about the fact that the reason you put a reverse heel check on a hind foot is so when that lands, because it's going to land outside heel first, by the time the back edge of that is coming to play, it's going to force the foot to land flatter mm -hmm. in the direction of travel of the toe, yeah, which well, gives it more of a chance to break off. Yeah, I've spoke to him about the same thing, but I've slow motion videoed a lot of these horses, mm. and it doesn't seem to quite work like that. I mean, in my experience, again, I used to use a lot of trailers and I used to use a lot of these mm. whip across bar shoes where it Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I must admit, I found a more, a more controlled and sympathetic landing. I'm not, it's not going to straighten the whole thing. It's not going to fix everything. Well, you're not it, wanting to. It's a square edge. But one yeah. thing I do like about that, as opposed to the pointy, normal, traditional-looking whip across bar shoe mm. outside hill, is that's a point. It's either going to pivot that way, or it's going to exactly. over-pivot that way. Well, at least with the squared off hill, you've the got, reverse check, exactly. it's got more of a platform. And that's my argument. I mean, we're going off piece again earlier. That's my argument against egg balls. Yeah. In, especially in front, because they're, they're landing heel first on a curve. Yeah. Not on a straight. So the, 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 the foot can twist in any medial or lateral. Mm. Um, and I think it's like you were saying, just it's a very similar thing. Yeah. So the squarer edge actually gives you that truer plane into the flight path. Well, that's where the Brexit bar shoe would fix that. I love it. It's a good shoe. Yeah. Who, who I'll take my hat off to you there. Who came up with I'll that? I'll take my hat off to you there. Uh, I really do. Viva Europe. Right. Um, <laughs> I say we've got, like you say, we've got, we haven't gone off piece, but we're going to talk about treatments and stuff in a bit. Um, but going back to that whip across bar shoe while we're on the subject. Though, I think if you've got the I, inverted bar, I've, it's fine. I'll show you a picture in a bit. I've reinvented it. Um, I'm be glad to have a look at that. Yeah. So you've got your square reverse check yeah. and you've got the whip across. So you've got the length and you're still supporting the frog. That's how I make them. <laughs> it's, um, and one thing I always aim for... Um, I haven't seen yours yet, obviously. But I, one thing I always aim for is the inside must be the same length as the outside. Yeah. Because if it's short, it will twist. Well, that, that goes back to <clears throat> back in the day when we when we used to knock around with our, our friend Marky, Mark Corwell. Um, the big man. <laughs> we, I remember at the time, especially when we was all shooting up at Beaver Hall, we... We're shooting a lot of these sports horses yeah. with yeah. what we used to call wobbly hocks, lateral hock displacement. And I know some school some schools thought we're putting lateral extensions on that point. We were shooting a lot of them with trailers. Yeah. Now, this was when we was all at Myersco. So if we knew what was coming in, we would sort of knock them up at, at college back yeah, in the day. Yeah, I remember. Um and then so your average person, you go, right, okay, we're gonna put a lateral trailer on it. You'd 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 Measure your, your stock for your shoe, 13 inches, add half inch on for the what's the name, mm -hmm. and you would make your normal shoe with the trailer added on. Yeah. Now, when you go out in the field and you've not got that and you've got machine-made shoes and you want to do the same thing, so you go up a size shoe, mm -hmm. you knock a trailer on it, you could crop the outside inside heel, 
but very often you went uh, just sort of like box it off of a linen shoe and, yeah. and fit yeah. it long. Yeah. And I remember with Mark watching these horses move up and down with no shoe on it. They um, with no, when it was barefoot didn't displace much. Put an ordinary shoe on it, displaced a lot. Put a trailer added on. Mm-hmm. It stabilised it a bit. Yeah. But if you put the trailer on and fitted the inside long, so it came around, it stabilised it a lot It was a lot better. Yeah. It was a lot better. In fact, I actually do, um, for want of a better term, I mean, this is a term that Edward Cooper taught me years ago, was a little bunny eel. Yeah. On the inside. So not like a trailer sticking out, but it's extended, but it runs down basically cordially past the frog. Yeah. Um, and I find using those, I use a lateral extension on the outside and, and one of these bunny eels on the inside, and I find I get a lot more success, repetitive success with that than than most others, to be honest. Well, that's a bit like, I don't know if you remember seeing it, that trailer specimen I put in at Stonely mm. the other year. I remember that one, yeah. But it's got that funny inside yeah, hill idea yeah. where it's kind of scooped out. It's, yeah, a bit like a Swedish. Yeah, a bit like an onion, sort of Swiss kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I need to come up with a silly name for that. But that's the same kind of thing. You can give it the length without it cutting into the front. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, it just gives it a bit of va-va-voom. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, um, but anyway, back to causes. <laughs> As we do. <laughs> the first tangent. Okay, so obviously type of works. So a lot of it, concussion can play quite a important part, like we're saying with the road work. Mm, yeah. Obviously, we don't see that kind of concussion-based as much now. But again, remember, using choosing the right style of shoe for the surface is going on. And like we've all seen that whole surface dis- um ground reaction force surface displacement yeah i've been talking the, about that you for know years. the fact that concave on some of these sort of sticky arena surfaces mm-hmm. can cause a lot more jarring um but you know we've seen it in in this country the home of the concave horseshoe yeah more and more people are putting continental three-quarter fullards on i see billy's rebirthed bold yeah, you know, yeah, saw the, that. Yeah, the third incarnation, the third of incarnation. Bold. Yeah, um, so you know, but there's obviously a, a demand for it at last. Mm. You know, yeah. Um, well, it is. We we've got to get out of this. One thing does everything. It, it doesn't. I mean, we used to use the analogy. Remember when we were both at college? You you wouldn't take a, a Formula One race car to quick fit, would you? No. And just have a, a set of normal. Everyday tyres put on for whatever condition. Your Formula One race car has the tyres fitted to whatever condition it is. And when the conditions change, so do the tyres. Oh, exactly. You know, we've got to start thinking a little bit more down that path. Yeah. How is that horse's foot interacting with the ground, the surface, wherever it is? Is it firm? Is it deformable? Is it plastic? Is it reactive? These wax surfaces that rebound? Yeah, exactly. You know, it all pays a part and when the, and the thing is as well you know we've learned the hard way with literally with some of these wax surfaces that depending on the weather conditions the kind and the climate and the time yeah, here, yeah you know they act very very differently yeah they're so changeable yeah and it depends even in a competition how many horses have gone round <laughs> you know how, how has that surface been 
deformed by the other 10 horses that have already gone through it. Exactly, exactly. Moved all the soft stuff out of the way, and now you, you, you're almost on tarmac. <laughs> you're almost on concrete. Well, and, and again, <laughs> though, in this country, you know, there's a lot of people got their own arenas at home, but, you know, where the British horse world falls flat a little bit is... A lot of people try and do things on the cheap. Like, you know, we could afford, we do. We could afford this £50,000 arena surface, but yeah. actually, when was one going for 20000 it must be better. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas other countries I've been to, it's like... But, yeah. Yeah. They'll, yeah, they'll we've, yeah we've, all, we've all been in sit on the things. You Hang know. on a minute, why don't we do that? Exactly. <laughs> um, so the, ne the next one I've got down as a cause, um, which comes up in a lot of these things, is hereditary. Now, I'm not a big fan of classing this as a hereditary condition confirmation being the biggest cause that, that, that's the that's only hereditary heredi thing hereditary. I would think of yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so very often you'll see people predisposing confirmation yeah. yeah very often you'll see people write down answers like hereditary for pretty much anything well that can be linked to yeah how do you link that to the confirmation yeah because you know you've got it's a mare with a wonky leg it's baby's going to probably yeah, have the genetics. same wonky leg you know you know not that I'm very similar to my own mother. I'm just like pointing that out. No offence, mother. Um, but <laughs> my mother's thin. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> oh dear, my mum's got a lot more hair than me. Um, yeah, but anyway, so um, uneven loading, you know. So yeah. horse, horses, for whatever reason, and again, you know, you think again going back to the horses working on the roads. You know, because of the road camber, mm. you know, um, you know, and I, I know my old boss looked into road yeah, camber. Yeah, well, I, I, I even looked into that a long time ago, nearly. Yeah. Um, he, you know, there was a lot of, because, again, he did it on all the household yeah. cavalry horses, yeah. which work on the roads a lot. And then roads in London, there was a lot of road camber there. Um, and, you know, it does... For, there is a lot of correlations with some of these lamenesses and rope camber of the road. So uneven loading, you know, again, badly put together horses which are a bit one-sided, yeah. one leg slightly longer than the other. Well, if you think, it's like a lot of these conditions, it's going to start off almost as a repetitive strain injury. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you talk about DJD and to me, bounce bavin is DJD, you can start off with synovitis. That synovitis then becomes chronic and proliferative. It's there for a long time. So then the joint fluid gets degraded. Then we go into arthritis, inflammation of the joint. Then we get all these chemical mediators that start to invade the joint and destroy the cartilage. And then once you've got bone involvement, that's osteoarthritis. And then once you've gone past the itis stage, like we were saying at the beginning, then you're into arthrodesis. Yeah. Which is a total breakdown. Um, unfortunately, we don't seem to get to that point that much with spavin. Because mm, a good majority of them are those low motion joints. Yeah. But if we get there in an high motion joint, then it's game over. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, again, another, another cause is specific joint infection you know mm. once that joint capsule gets compromised again like the um sort of the um steps which you just mentioned there yeah. start going in we end up break down the cartilage and yeah you get septic djd yeah um so you know i mean and again 
Not that we see it often, especially with the hot joint, it being a bit further up. I mean, most of the joint infections we tend to see are lower mm. because they're closer to the ground and the prickly stuff that yeah. people drive yeah. the horses through. Um, but again, it's, you know, but it is a thing which can manifest. And like we always, I hate, especially when farriers write in answers in exams, when they they always they're very quick to put poor Farry down. No, um, no, and that's kind of us throwing ourselves under the bus. I mean, we've been in this job long enough, mate. Even some that you see and you think, oh, what's going on there? I don't think there's any farrier actually goes out there with the intention of doing a bad job. No, might be misguided at times. Or missing the big picture, but nobody really goes out there to do a bad job. I don't think. Well, I know, I know, I know. Me, me and my my colleague Dean, we we do like the phrase suboptimal fairy sometimes. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. We we it's better than it's it's a lot less negative than yeah. poor fairy. But again, that's mine was our, unsympathetic. That's kind of like <laughs> us throwing ourselves under the bus in some kind of like suicide yeah. kind yeah. of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but hail all barefooters. But I I also do like. I like things like bad management now, bad uh, or poor management. Mm. Poor management. You, we're now chucking the horse oh, owner under exactly. the bus um, because they look after the thing. Yeah, yeah. They decide when we're going to show it for them. Um, and again, it's not something we see as much these days. Um, you know, I, I certainly find myself out showing that most clients, if I tell them. That it's having a six week, five week, whatever shoeing cycle, they don't question it. Yeah, Whereas, exactly. we, you know, when we were a bit younger, you know, we used to always have those on the books which went 18 weeks. Oh, yeah. Um, for whatever reason. But, but don't seem to see that so much these days. I think is, they are a bit more clued up. Can I say clued up? Yeah. yeah they're a bit more, you know, conscious of or maybe, the welfare. Or maybe they just make the horseshoes softer now so they wear out quicker and they can't get away with it. I don't know. I have heard that <laughs> argument. To be, I had that argument thrust at me not long ago, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, all these shoes are made out of cheap Chinese steel. <laughs> <laughs> not this in the Chinese. <laughs> uh, no, no. Maybe they just make softer still. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's pretty much it for causes. I can't think of any more. I mean, I'd like to go back to confirmation. I mean, what confirmation types do we mainly think of? I mean, the first one that jumps up and hits me around the head is bench legs, you know, post legs. Yeah. There's so much concussion going through those op joints because they're so straight. Um, then cow ox. I think... I think horses that are cowot, to me, they would be an indicator. Maybe if it is developing bone spavin, it might even turn to jack spavin, where it's on the side of the joint because of their adverse angulation. Yeah. Sickalox, uh, maybe when the front of the op joint slams together, you get these kissing lesions. Uh, so, yeah, when we think about confirmation, there are, there are quite a few that we can almost look at the horse and think, yeah, I know where you're going, boy. (laughs) Give it a a year or two. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Um, So then, so clinical signs then, before we start diagnosing it, what are we likely to see? I think the first thing I notice as a farrier is it starts blooming leaning on you. 
Well, I must admit, I think the one the one person who really does lose out in the world of spavin is the farrier. Yeah. I mean, the first thing you notice is, oh, this horse is getting a bit heavy, a bit stiff. Starts tucking you underneath, reluctant to bend. And, he's, and he's, then, then shoe wear, you start looking at the shoe wear. Hang on a minute, it started uh, wearing it a bit heavy on this lateral branch. What's going on here then? Yeah, and it's, it's funny you mention that. So there's... One thing I find a lot of these days um, is, and it, but it's not always um, connected with spavin, but certainly hock or higher limb problems, mm -hmm. um, soft tissue and bony. But you, especially, especially, I've noticed it a lot this winter. A lot of horses have been, because it's been so cold continuously, there's a lot of the horses of a certain age, um, sort of mid-teens and above, who are a lot stiffer when you go to yeah. show them. Yeah. And I've noticed a lot more horses reacting when I'm nailing on yeah. due to the concussion. Yeah, I've had a few horses which have always been fine to nail on with, and I'm using my plastic hammer more and more. Yeah, I've, I've got two at the minute that are... That just exactly what you said exactly what you said they've been absolutely fine and then i did one the other day when it was really really cold and it was really reactive and it's the first time and i kind of like what you said there because it's it's actually made a light bulb go off <laughs> i wonder where well, I, just thought, I just thought it was these um lights reflect off your shiny head but now um, you can't afford to play the electric bill anymore <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean that's one thing i noticed and funny enough it's it's amazing that when you nail on not that i'm sort of like putting out there that nailing on's barbaric or anything because we know it's not we know exactly what we're doing but i i remember again years ago there was i was finding there was a lot of female horses of a certain age mm. at certain times in their yeah. reproductive cycle if yeah. you, for one of a better word um sort of their seasons that would be bad to nail on to and i think it was again that concussion passing up the limb all the way up to the ovaries mm. yeah you know, because yeah, they were all mares, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like they got to the point where they're, I don't know, doing a ossification of ovaries because they're not producing them anymore. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a woman. It's a, it's a, well, I was going to say a woman thing, but I shouldn't even say that. No, no, no. Okay. no it's a bit... um, but yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, it's amazing that that concussion passing up the limb, yeah. how, how much that can aggravate things which are already aggravated sometimes, yeah. you know, and I think, you know, like so I say, it might not necessarily be the up joint. No, that's the thing. Well, and again, it's the hind limbs funny anyway. It's like you know, it's when people go on about doing flexion tests, which we're going to talk about in a bit. But <laughs> you know, you can't do a flexion test without pretty much flexing every joint in exactly. the hind limb, yeah, because of the reciprocal apparatus. I was talking to a um, an equine orthopedic surgeon two months ago. Yeah, around about two months ago, just before Christmas, actually. And he, he was telling me one of the, the most misdiagnosed or missed opportunities were looking at arthritis of the stifle. Yeah. A lot of these horses that are being diagnosed 
It's like, oh, it's bounced back into the arc. Actually, have arthrosis in the stifle as well. Mm. So, which is it? Yeah, exactly. No, it's interesting. Um, so, back on the old clinical side. So, lameness. It could be a varying degree of lameness too. Yeah, I think it starts off really intermittent. Yeah. I mean, you do get a definitive change in gait early on. Whether you class that as actual lameness or not, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I tend to find the one, the very early ones, they'll they'll change their stance first. Yeah. They'll start to go a little bit base narrow, a little bit toe out, especially if it's on the the dorsal distal aspect of the arc because they're trying to unload it. That's when the the outside heel starts to collapse a little bit. Yeah. Start to wear the outside. Then when you watch them move, they start to have this adduction under the body. Yeah. Um, a lot of them go past the midline and then abduct back out and slam down lateral first. Where they slam down, whether it's lateral heel, lateral quarter, depends, I think, on foot confirmation as well. Yeah. Um, I see that more before you really get anything that you would class as a lameness. Yeah. But if you do then get lameness after, it, become, it starts off as intermittent. Yeah. I mean, I think the difficulty as well, <clears throat> you know, hind limb lamenesses were always notoriously harder to spot than a forelimb lameness. Um, and again, if it is bilateral in the sense that it's in both hind limbs, it, again, it's even more difficult to spot it. And sometimes it's, I wouldn't call it so much a lameness in some cases. It's more of a kind of like reluctant to kind of, they get very on the forehand for a start. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, reluctant to sort of propel themselves forward. Yeah. Well, they, they can't. That, yeah. that, I think that's one of the things we miss is that actual drive pattern they have through the flexor chain and extension chain from the hind end to the front kind of breaks down a bit. Mm. Um, because one thing I did notice with a lot of these horses that are suffering with eye problems and will take bounce spavin because we're talking at it, do actually, first of all, get noticed because they've got something wrong with the front. Yeah. You know, they start to get flat feet, they start to get bruising because they started dragging themselves along with the front front end. And a lot of those are actually, it's the back that's not working. Yeah, exactly. I've seen that many, many times before. And, you know, I think um, a lot of, I mean, I know... Back in the day, we was both shearing a lot more, you know. And again, around the time of doing a lot of work with Caldwell, there was a lot of a lot of these horses we were dealing with came in with a four limb problem, and we sort of spotted the hind limb problem straight away. Yeah, yeah. You know, we'd chew the front end normally um, and sort the back end out, and then the, the owner was like, "Oh my god." Well, the vet sent it here with a falling problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's um, yeah, it is is a funny one. I mean, not gonna write down. You know, but but what well, you know, one of the key signs, like you say, is the stance, the the acquired gait, um, reluctance to flex the hocks. Like that sort of linked in with you know when we go to shoe it. You know, mm. we start to know shoe wear. I think, I think. The shoe wear we look at on horses now is very subtle compared with the shoe wear 
and even shoe where we saw when we were younger. I mean, you look at a lot of horses we shoe these days, there's not really any discernible wear there, is there? Yeah, it's like how many refits can you have? <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know. You know. Whereas, you know, when we were shoeing years ago, you'd be lucky if they went four weeks without it being like a razor blade. <laughs> exactly, exactly, you know. Um, but again, that's just changing times, changing the still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, can't blame the Chinese for that one. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that shoe wear is very different. I mean, again, people always, and I see this with apprentices and their shoe boards. As soon as you mention spavin, set toe, yeah, yeah. well, that set toe, that's more, that's more of a later stage of spavin, I find. Yeah, to me, that's that, that would be an horse that's in the chronic. It would either be fused or very close to fusing. Yeah. I mean, and again, I, I'm, the horses still do do it, I suppose, but the horses I see with those kind of hot changes, they don't really drag their toes no. so much. No. If anything, on an arena surface, they'll have a slight... I mean, frankly, I've got a horse, a shoe, bless him. In fact, he's the horse I met in the Brexit bar shoe for. But... um his hind feet, he's just, and it's probably linked to his suspensions. He's got such a low foot yeah. flight arc, yeah, and it's just constantly just brushing the top of the arena surface. Yeah, so he dumps his hind toes off. Now, I actually found the best way to kind of protect for that was actually to toe clip behind shoes or a nice big strong toe clip, and actually just deflects it away because it kind of it was still kind of. With um, a small set toe, it was still brushing. It was almost like you'd come back and the, the set toe was still there. It was just a lot prouder. Yeah, yeah, they all rounded and gone. So, but I just, I just find with a, with a nice big, big oversized toe clip, it just seems to protect a bit more. Yeah, but yeah. again, I don't think that's got spaving going on. Although he is no. in that age group, he's just, you know, I think that's more to his confirmation needs his suspensories. Um, so. Um, again, we talked about bog spavin earlier on. I always kind of liken that to a clinical sign, really, because, again, one of the first things, if we've got sort of like um, overproduction of synovial fluid, which is normally a reason for that, yeah. be it uh, undue stress and strain, overloading, or the fact there's something going on within that joint. Yeah, it's an alarm bell. Itself. Exactly. So there's the major link. It's not like... It's not a cause of spavin. It's not a different type of spavin, but that's the real link. It is a sign that we could be going down that yeah, path. Yeah, something's happening that shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, so diagnosis. So vet time now. There's a problem. We've called Ugh. the vet in. What's the vet going to do? Um, Leave it to us usually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. They've got to get their pound of flesh <laughs> true, first. True, true, true. Bless them. So obviously... With sort of like a veterinary diagnosis, I mean, yeah, they're gonna do a sort of work observation based work up to start with. You'd hope so. You see yeah. more less and less now because they're they're more into these lameless locators. Yeah. Uh, rather than actually looking at the horse itself, it's easier to look at the screen. Yeah, I mean, I think, and again, this goes to with that lameness locator and things like some of the gate analysis stuff, Workman Blacker. I think the real the real positive from that is sometimes, and we'll know as equine professionals, 
and sort of like educators, if you like. You know, sometimes we're trying to explain to horse owners, mm. which we try and do to the best of our ability, what's going on, and they nod, but you can see it in their eyes. It doesn't make sense. I haven't got a clue yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Whereas when you show them on one of these computer screen a nice animation of what's going on, and you can see, can you see the difference now? They can see the difference because yeah. the screen's showing yeah. the difference. I think for that it's great, but I still think vets need to look at the horse as well. Yeah. Especially yeah. the younger ones. Well, and I I, I, I well, it's anyone with that available tech, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I dare say in 30 years' times we'll be saying it about farriers. I think we will. I think we'll be before 30 years, to be honest. Oh, and, and, you know, some of this technology in that out there is really, really good. It, is, it has got but its, its another place. tool in the box. Exactly. But, you know, you've still got to be able to use your human eye, Mark 1 eyeball as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, work up observation. So that's able to locate the area, mm-hmm. the limb, whether it's both limbs. You know, I tend to find, you know, um, trotting them up on a small circle on a hard ground and even a soft ground, soft ground, you know, you get different reactions. You get different to it. reactions, yeah. Uh, this is where the flexion test comes in. Oh, I'm not a big fan of flexion tests per se. No. Again, we talked about it. If you flex one joint, you flex the other. Yeah. And if your stifle is compromised yeah. as well. How can you tell which it is? Exactly. And to be honest, <laughs> we just had the noise, Corey. I'm a big bloke. I like my food. I can make any horse lane with a flexion test if I really wanted to. Well, I remember I remember saying years ago, like uh, f- most horses over the age of seven, if you do a four-limb flexion test on it, you will make it go lame. And funny enough, you know, Always makes me laugh when you get them phone calls or people get, farriers get those phone calls after you've shot the horse going, it's gone lame. And you go out there and there's nothing wrong with it. Yep. We've just held it in the longest flexion test between our legs yep. for the last hour and a half. Yeah, it's gone, oh God. You know, we used to get moving again. We, you know, again, it's something we used to see all the time at Melbourne yeah. because Ding used to make everything trot up before and after. Of course, with chill horse, it go out lame, we get back in, take the shoe off, check the nails, check yeah, everything else, nothing, nothing wrong, wrong with it. we'll have a look again in the morning, <laughs> yeah. now it's miraculously sound. It's, yeah. you know, yeah. it's a bit jointy. Yeah, 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 a bit of newness. <laughs> uh, um, obviously, nerve blocks, obviously, locating the lameness. Yeah, again, it's, it's, it's a dying, well, the, the problem I have with nerve blocks, to begin with, it, I don't mind nerve blocks. I don't is mind it, is there anything you haven't got a problem with? Not really. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think there's... I think if we're looking at veterinary diagnostics, we'll put nerve blocks a bit later on. Yeah. Because it's invasive. Yeah. If we look at the non-invasive first, so your, your clinical workup, um, your observation, your palpitation, feel around it, then... The normal one they go to is radiograph. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they'll probably take, what, four or five different views? Some, so I know some vets reckon six yeah. minimum. Well, I mean, let's face it. We're talking about... It's a complicated joint. Well, but we're, on the whole, we're talking about bony changes. Yeah. That's what shows up on x-rays. Yeah. You know, um, I'll say... Lastly, as far as diagnosis goes, I mean, yeah, you could stick a camera and have a look, but I mean, they very rarely yeah, do that, do they? I mean, and we've got the old MRI, 
Which... Yeah, MRI is going to show you soft tissue injuries. It can mm, show a little, especially if there's a fluid buildup in bone. Yeah. Um, like an edema. Uh, I mean, when we're thinking of bone spamming especially, we would go through radiography, nerve block. Does it block out to the ock? Because remember, you've got this funny little one that we call blind or occult spamming. Yeah. Do, 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 which is that shows all the symptoms, but nothing shows up radiographically. The only way they are really, really diagnosed is with nucleus integraphy. Yeah. With a gamma scan. But again, that's invasive because you have to inject the horse with a radio bloody active material. Um, then it, I've just had one actually. It had to um, undergo then quarantine for a while. Yeah. You know, so that builds up expense. So again, it all depends on the owner. What the owner can afford is, is it insured. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's a full range there of things that they can do. I mean, to be honest, of some of the pathologies we deal with, I don't think it's one of those which is particularly difficult to diagnose. No, no. Not that I'm a vet, but, you know, it's not It's not one of those things. It, it's it's normally quite black and white, literally, by radiograph. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. can't yeah. get more black and white than that. Nine, about 90% of them, are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, look at that. So. Yeah. Narrow joint spacing, bony changes around the margins of the joints. Maybe kissing lesions. This episode is sponsored by Silverback Chaps. Silverback Chaps, they've got your back. Have you ever been curious about Silverbacks, but just don't know where to start? Check out the website and use the code LOCKDOWNPC, that's LOCKDOWNPC, and get 10% off your first order, and this is across the whole range from chaps to caps, hats, tees, hoodies, and jackets, all designed for the working farrier by farriers. I'll see what I can remember. <laughs> but, I mean, we're talking it from, from a farry point of view, but obviously as far as treatment... You know, we start the vet treatment because if it's been diagnosed by the vet, they're going to treat it, and then our treatment is complementary to that. Yeah, it should be. Um, we both live in the real world. We both know that certain people go around injecting ox for the fun of it. Yeah. Um, well, and then when they inject anything yeah and then you mention about shoeing it differently but, oh no 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 just shoe it normally so I can keep injecting it every six months that aside then there are quite a number of treatments most of them are just the main symptom obviously pain yeah you know pain relief uh, we live in a society in this, this country especially where horse welfare is of a maximum um, so pain relief has to be administered there's no getting away from that no and then there are other drug treatments that have, some have gone by the wayside some are still carried on some seem to work but nobody really knows why <laughs> well I think some of them they brought out a new wonder drug which wasn't pew 
and it was it was it was the new in thing. Then it got banned by the FEI, and then yeah, it disappears yeah. again. They find another concoction, but yeah. I'm just saying. Well, you've got things like Adequan and all that. Um, you've got now the 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 going down more like organic routes. You've got platelet rich plasma injections. Um, I have even seen a case of somebody trying shockwave therapy, extracorporeal shockwave therapy. How that works in the joint, I don't quite understand myself. I think it's more for soft tissue, but then I might be wrong. I'm not a vet. Um, I know a few years ago they were trying with these um, things like osphos and children yeah. um, to try and restrict osteoblast activity. Uh with mixed results yeah um one thing they did find though and that's why he still used quite a lot in america for navicular i'm going off piece a little bit but although it doesn't seem to have the effect they wanted it to have on the joint it does seem to have a very good analgesic effect mm. <laughs> so there is a benefit yeah um out 17 injections yeah um trying to work on the aileron of the the joint fluid, um, chemical fusing. Yeah. I mean, they used to use mechanical fusing when I was young, but they don't need to do any, any more of that. No. Try and progress the fusing of the joint so the pain goes away sooner. Yes, you do get a definitive change in gait, whether you class that as a lameness or not, I don't know. Maybe it is sub, still subclinically lame. It's not yeah. through pain, yeah. but it's through mechanical dysfunction. I know they inject them with alcohol, to dissolve uh, the cartilage and try and get them to fuse a little bit quicker. If the horse is an happy hacker, per se, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. But what if it's a Grand Prix dressage horse? Well, exactly. I mean, I, I, it's career's over. Well, it is because although the, the hock will still flex like so it can still move but you are going to have a, a loss of athletic potential yeah definitely you know definitely. um it's i mean corticosteroids yeah that's favorite um but obviously there are surgical procedures where the vets can go inside and remove some of the bony changes not always successfully again i from what I've seen working with vet, some quite big vet practices, um, especially orthopaedic, is the problem they have going invasively into the joint to remove either cartilage or try and shave some of the bone off. It actually kind of speeds things up. So maybe that's what they want to do. Yeah. Um, but I have seen like arthroscopy uh, done where they've gone in and, you know, pulled bits of cartilage out, but have actually caused more damage to the joint going in there in the first place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if your end game is to get it to fuse, then why not? So let's move on and let's talk about Farry treatment. Um, one thing I want to clear up before we go any further Again, like we were talking in the kitchen earlier, you know, one of the, one of the biggest problems with Farry in this country and globally, mm. it's just in our DNA as farriers, 
we do struggle to completely let go of stuff we saw in a book from the past. Oh, yeah. We've always yeah. got most of our eyes on the rear view mirror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not moving forward. And, you know, we're guilty of that in so many parts of our industry. Oh, yeah. But when as soon as you talk to apprentices or farriers about spabbing, the number one shoe they tend to bring into the conversation is the old, good old traditional spabbing shoe. Yeah, which is an historical shoe. You, we, we all know about. We know about that, especially. especially you working in the army would know even more about tricky it. Tricky to make it look nice. Yeah, although yeah. I didn't put one in as a specimen at the understanding of it. Three quarter square bump down. <laughs> I think I think trash the hell out of it. I think I've made mine out of um, inch behalf. That's half by inch, if you're American. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And flicked them over and weld them. But yeah. anyway, the... Um, it helps you also spabbing. will give you elbow. Yeah, it'll give you yeah, elbow spabbing. Um, <laughs> but let's just, let's, just, let's just put this one to rest then. So the old traditional spabbing shoe, they're the ones with the flicked over sort of like wedge type heels. Yeah, basically giving you a graduation, aren't you? Yeah. Without the with the middle bit taken out, yeah. The whole premise of that shoe, how it was originally, this was a workhorse shoe, yeah, predominantly for yeah. horses working on the road, probably cobbled streets, yeah. And that them hills, them wedge hills were designed to a elevate the back part of the foot, but to cause more concussion going up the limb to try and speed up the fusing by inflicting pain yeah. to that region. Yeah. Which in today's world would be deemed as unethical. Yeah, well, yeah, it would be called cruelty, wouldn't it? You know, you know, yes, it's for the greater good. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah. Yeah, but if Fred couldn't go out delivering his loaves, then he didn't feed his family. Exactly. We don't have that problem. Exactly. Though. Exactly. Well, we do, but it's diesel fueled. <laughs> you know, it's it's a bit. I suppose it's it's a bit like encouraging people to smoke to um, make their lungs work. Yeah, yeah, it's, it opens the pipes. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's um, so that is not a method commonly used now. I think variations when, of it at the later stages. Well, I say later stages where we end up with a loss of flexion, putting some kind of graduated shoe mm. or a wedge pad or one of these. Yeah, it doesn't need to be heavy, does it? Or one of these Carlos Fandango modern 3D wedge pads. Ooh, I like them. Ooh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> modern technology. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was a traditional shoe and wouldn't be used in this day and age in very rarely for speeding you know very rarely, they look yeah. nice yeah it's a good forging exercise yeah like it's fun style. to make well yeah if if you like pain <laughs> um so let's um talk about how we would show them today <sighs> Well, the main one you, you we get bombarded with is the lateral extension into. Yeah. Now, what does your lateral extension do? And I think this is the one of the big bugbears I have, and one of the biggest problems I see, is this misinterpretation of the word extension. 
Extension means it goes beyond. Yeah. Well, beyond what? Well, beyond the periphery of the foot, obviously, but beyond the coronary band. Does it? Does it really want to? We've talked about the changing gait. They land the outside first heavy. If you put a big wing on there, is that not going to exasperate the problem? Yeah. I think we forget when we talk about extension, we're actually extending axially towards the center of the foot, towards the frog. Because that's where the foot's gone. Yeah. So we can get on the buttress of the foot and give it support, but also have the outer periphery of the shoe supporting the coronary band during the loading phase of the stride. Yeah. To stop the arc deviating and to actually stop the foot being too far adducted underneath it. So it's the placement of the foot on the floor more than anything else. Yeah. I don't think it really does anything for the joint per, per se um, because it's to the bottom of the leg. But what we're trying to do is counteract the change in stance and then the change in gait and then the deformation that occurs through the foot because of that so we don't get a secondary problem. I also think it should be almost like a side bone, a unilateral side bone, so it's chamfered off slightly or softened mm. on the ground surface edge yeah. because that's where they land heavy. Um, one thing Jim Ferry taught me very early on about using them was your extension as it comes out only goes as far forward as the horse's first contact point to the ground. Yeah. Otherwise, then it becomes leverage. Yeah. And it's the same with overdoing it becomes leverage. So it is this working out where does this extension go? Mm. How much is it? What does it look like? Where do I fit it to? And we were talking about the reverse check teals. Yeah. Again, we've got that square reel. We've got that flatter landing. We've got that orientation of the foot. And you think about it, and it is about how the foot interacts with the ground, how that foot then leaves the ground for the next phase of the stride. And although people say we can't affect the swing of the foot when it's in the air, by ameliorating how it lands and how it takes off, we do inadvertently affect the way it moves in the air. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what we're aiming for. Well, it's almost like, you know, when we, we started talking about this, we were talking about, you know, wobbly hocks. Yeah. And again, horses with pathological changes going on, bit to do with soft tissue or bony changes within the hock, you know, again, very often you see this lateral displacement of the hock. Well, if that's going on, then if that's not stable above the foot, when that foot eventually takes off and leaves the ground, it's kind of like it's not going to fly true anyway. Because no, So you if you can, whatever your choice of weapon or extension, mm. um, if you can stabilise that hock, you're going to get a less less movement within the hock to try and obviously alleviate the lameness or what's causing it, but you're going to cause a straighter 
Yeah, I think that's what we're trying to aim to yeah. do. Is um, stop secondary things happening, like foot deformation, lateral lock displacement getting worse, which then affects the ligaments as well as the bony changes, mm. um, capsular changes. One thing I, I do want to mention, that another one of my bugbears, is I see a lot of guys making lateral extension shoes as specimens and they're fullered, lovely fullered on the outside, maybe double fullered and plain stumped on the inside. You got it the wrong way around, guys. It's going to land outside first. You want that to slide slightly. You want to remove some of that grab, mm. which jars through the joint. So maybe if you think about plain stamping the outside, fuller in the inside, so it grips a little bit and stops it spinning. Yeah, well, I, I know there's two schools of thought there. You know, funny enough, I had this conversation the other day, and there is the two schools of thought. I mean, back in the old days... We used to always plain stamp the outside because they wear out. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Whereas, um, you know, with ground reaction forces on the arena surfaces and stuff like that, there is a school of thought which would say plain stamp the inside and full of the outside, basically because obviously it's the medial side of the foot where, oh, sorry, the medial side of the hock is where the pain's at. So let's try and dissipate but let's face it if you've got a horse and it's a dressage horse and it's on a rainy surface plain stamp the whole shoe works for me yeah you it know. works for me well if why well, okay right whilst we're on the subject of lateral extensions of fullering <laughs> let's get it out of the open right one of the, my biggest bugbears personally is when I see these shoes very often it's not a lateral extension just because it's got two bits of filler in it. Yeah, yeah. If it's got two bits of filler in it, and it's no ride of an original stock, that is not a lateral extension. It means nothing. You would probably make it more of a lateral extension by not fullering another bit of filler in it and just hammer box in it properly. Um, so that's bugbear number one. The second bugbear is when people do put double filler in, and when they actually stand back and look at it, They've not actually gained anything by it anyway because they could have just put one line of footer in with a stop end in it exactly. and got the yeah. same thing because yeah. where they've kind of made it look pretty and they've got a nice little feathered crossover, there's no difference. No. The other, But the main bugbear is people who put a secondary run of footer in it and this might sound prophetic to the average listener. When they put Two runs of fur in it, coming. <laughs> and they put it on the outside border. Oh yeah, <laughs> because what's hitting the ground first? The outside part of the, the outside yes. border of the outside hill. I knew it was coming, <laughs> and that thin border you've now made because you put a line down it. It's quickly going to wear away, and then you're going to fall into your fullering. Oh, so yes. that extension on the ground is yeah. doing nothing. It is. It is this not thinking about the horse. Well, he's not thinking about the function and of what the happens. Shoe. Yeah, and how it's How's I was moving. What, where's it in yeah. what? What's doing what? Mechanically, what do I want it to change? What do I want to change? Well, we sound like grumpy old men. Well, we are. Oh well, yeah. Well, well, I well, speak for myself. Well, I say grumpy and old. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, but no, you're dead right. I mean, joking aside, I mean, you know, adaptations. You do what you can do on the job. Yeah, but. Um, you know, if it's, if it's worth doing right, it's worth doing right. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if if you're getting yourself out of a corner because you've turned up at a yard and an horse has come out and you've watched it walk and you think, oh my God, it's doing this, it's abducting or axial swing or whatever you want to call it underneath itself and stabbing, you think, oh my God, it's probably getting some bone stabbing and you've got nothing else, mm. then you can adapt to machine, man, you? You can run a extra run a fuller in if you've got a fuller in your van or your truck up the inside or you can just pan that inside edge down because it's not going to hit there mm. so you can take as much as you want of it exactly i don't like seeing them took from the outside i see guys widening it by taking the hammer to the outside of the shoe well that is where it's going to wear and that is like you were just saying with the extra run of fullering up the outside you just turn it into a knife blade yeah you know it's not going to work no. We've got to be sensible about these things, you know. What's this horse doing? What can I do to help it without, you know, making the damn thing worse? Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, everything we do, we, we're we striving to make things better, not worse. Yeah, we, we're trying to accommodate. It's all about maintenance to me. We're trying to maintain the horse, even though it's got a pathology, we're trying to maintain it so a the owner can do a little bit with it, and to provide some modicum of comfort to the animal yeah. while it's being forced to do it. Well, that's that's the key thing, and like you know, I I love I love and always have done the term sympathetic farrier because you know a lot of the especially with the sort of like age range of horses mm. these days, the majority of our clientele, unless you work in the racing industry, is that kind of sort of like early to late teen yeah, age Yeah, and they're getting older and older. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, again, one thing we used to see a lot more with the road work was horses would very quickly, within the first week, wear the shoes comfortable. Yeah. They don't get the opportunity to do no, that anymore. No, no, you no. know, they're normally worn that shoe comfortable about three refits in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if we can do little things like hammering down the toe or linishing the toe off or the outside board. Or, oh, it makes a world of difference yes. for them. Absolutely, and I know quite difference. a few people have spoken about this. Yeah, it, it is one of my one of my things. Is the horse is trying to tell you something? Yeah, at least give it the you know the benefit of listening. Well, and also we we see it a lot more with machine made shoes nowadays, where they're building in features to the shoes to make the shoes more comfortable. Yeah, and rightly so. Or, they, or, or they just make them out of soft Chinese still, and they just wear yeah. themselves out quicker. <laughs> I remember, I remember when I was an apprentice, you'd go on horse wearing the outside of his shoe off, he'd fill it up with hard weld. Yeah. <laughs> That'll stop the bugger. I can, I, can, I can remember, I can remember getting severe radiation burn on my midriff because the King's Troop in London, because they pulled the guns and they put concave yeah, yeah, and everything, yeah. they used to weld up Every single toe, hard face and well, <laughs> and the lateral branches, and they've got oh, you know dear. the big old green massive like industrial the big oil welders. Yeah. They've got oh, one of God. those, and the King's Troop. I'm not saying they're all vain, but a lot of them were vain. Um, they used to always shoe their tops off in the forge, and so I was down there for a few weeks. So yeah, went in Rome. So I, got <laughs> I was a lot spelt of that then, but I had a bit of a beer belly. But I can remember you was like. Because I was qualified, you was fitting the shoes, you'd call them out, and then you'd go into the workshop and you weld everything up with your top off, just yeah. a welding mask, and then you'd get a bit of a tan. And I can remember <laughs> we knocked the top, and I was driving home, and it was a really hot day, so I didn't have a t shirt on in the car. All I can remember was 
it felt like my seatbelt was cutting me in half. And I'd got like... Radiation burns. <laughs> radiation burns all around my gut. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. my old boss used to do that, actually. Always he used to wear go for a bit of sun. <laughs> He'd take his shirt off in the forge and have a bit of sun with the welder and his eyes closed. <laughs> a bit of a tan. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, um, back on track. Um, yeah, I mean, lateral extensions... People Very to, useful if they're fitted correctly and done correctly. People used to go on a lot about square toes with trailers. Uh, the square toe bit, I kind of get if you're talking about how the foot leaves the floor. The big problem I have is the horse uses its toe as a purchase point to drive itself forward. Yeah. It's already struggling. Because he's got pain in the ock. So we take its toe purchase away. And now it's having to use its ock and its upper leg more to get that impulsion, to get that drive. That 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 that's my kind of take on it. Mm. Um I, I'm not a big fan. Trailers, we did a lot of work yeah. on it, I remember. I remember a lot of the videos I, I did. Um, slow motion from behind with trailers on. Very, very, very rarely did the actual trailer hit the floor. Mm. Um, if it did, it needed to be at least two, three inches long. I have a theory on trailers. I think it supported it when it was on the floor. Yeah. Well, my theory of trailers is, and this is why trailers and lateral extensions, kind because of, it's that very last half an inch of a lateral extension which if you if you imagine cutting the shoe out putting a lateral extension then cutting a normal web of the shoe and cutting a trailer out of that mm. extension yeah it's the same it's that part yeah. of the extension which really does yeah. the job yeah and it's when it's on the floor it's not when it's landing it's no. when it's on the floor because yeah. yeah. when they actually come down they very rarely touch it mm. but when it's on the floor and the body weight's passing over that's when it starts to stabilise yeah and I agree totally. That trailer is just acting like the back part of the extension. Yeah. I mean, really, from a, from a weight point of view, you can save a lot of weight in the shoe. If weight is an issue, you can save a lot of weight. I did find on certain sort of surface interactions that trailers were very effective, and it was a very effective way of stabilising hocks. But a lateral extension is going to keep it on top of the surface more when it overloads. Yeah, I, I found exactly the same thing. And I, th I just find them safer. Yeah. Uh, I just think when you've got a spike sticking out there, you've got to be very careful, especially if it's in a field with other horses. Well, you basically get it a flick knife. I can remember <laughs> I, I put trailers on a horse years ago. It was a bit of a rough yard. Now... Can't believe you do any of them, don't you? I, well, I used to. Um... Um, but I can remember there was this yard. The guy whose yard it was, I think, was a farrier mm. before the registration, but then stopped being a farrier, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but he was an old boy and he knew it all. And I shot this horse, and it was very close behind. It was brushing. So I'd put, like, anti-brushing shoes on with a trailer on the outside to try and just all straighten yeah, him up yeah. a bit. And it worked great. Yeah, yeah. When I went back to shoe it, Six weeks later, this horse can't fit. Bloody hell! 
the guy had seen these trailers and went, well, I'm not having that in my fields. So he'd gone out one night <laughs> with a hacksaw. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, no, I'm going to grow it No, 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 he's old school hacksaw. He actually hacksawed him off, which yeah. probably made him razor sharp and even more dangerous. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, some people, eh? Then um, you get a Stanley knife instead of a flick knife. <laughs> so. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, so, really, support stabilisation is the key to the lateral extension. To me, yeah, you stabilising during the loading phase. And keeping the foot better orientated then for the next phase of the stride, um, thereby inadvertently affecting the swing. Plain stamping, we both like that. We've, we've agreed on that. We both like that. Yeah. Um, because it does reduce some of that torque, um, whether torque's the right word, the, the grip on landing, whether that's on a soft surface or a firm, it's kind of similar. Um, and just trying to keep the horse as comfortable as you can. Why things do happen. Why why the, the pathology is progressing. Oh, can I just say, we actually forgot. We, we talked about fire treatments. We forgot the most important part. Um, foot balance. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when we're talking about irons. Mm. Don't get me started. I think we, I think historically, even now, so much focus is on the front foot and how to balance front feet. Very little on the hind. Um, Simon Moore's done some great research and stuff on different trims for the hind and how, how we may be getting it wrong. I tend to look at the horse. Yeah. Um, he tells me what it wants. Yeah. And I'll, I'll trim it accordingly. And if if in that one shoeing or it hasn't got better or it's got worse, then obviously I'm doing something wrong. Mm. And the first thing I'll, I'll look at is the trim. Have I trimmed it right? Have I took too much inside down, too much outside down? Is it inside high? Is it outside low? Yeah. Where do, where do you stop? Well, I must admit, I mean, like I said, with hind feet... When it comes to balancing hind feet, it's always been a contentious subject. You can't eyeline them. No. Um, and I find myself nowadays more and more standing standing just to the side of the forelimb and looking through behind foot. Exactly, yeah. And I've got to say, since I've been doing that, when I'm yeah. coming... Like, normally, if you try and eyeline it and the hoof capsule looks slightly distorted... You trim it level, you come back, and that distortion's still there. Soon, Something's wrong. Once I've been actually looking through it and trimming it to that, yeah, that distortion's going. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. you know, within a couple of showings. So. Yeah, you, you, you've got to assess foot balance on the irons, weight on the floor. Yeah. Weight's loaded. Yeah. You can't you can't pick it up and eyeline it, no. especially when I said these guys pick them up and then start messing around with the thumbs. <laughs> push it that way and then push it that way. <laughs> Oh, that's not level. Oh, there he is. Oh, 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 oh actually, he's got to get no take. <laughs> no. It's bananas. Absolute bananas. We know, we've talked about the arc. We've talked about the joints in the arc. The tarso crew roll joint is an inch joint, but it's on an angle. Yeah. It's angulated. So as soon as you pick that limb up, it's going to orientate in that angle. Yeah. So how can you eyeline it? So 
obviously, like with all pathologies, you know, getting the f- foot balance optimal is really, really important. Front to back, side to side. Well, it, 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 we know. I mean, we, we talk about it, blase. Don't don't matter what shoes you use for what pathology or what performance or anything, unless you get that trim right, the shoe makes no difference. No. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, to, to quote our great mate and mentor, Slim, if you get the trim right, lad, you can nail a dustbin lid to it. Yep. Absolutely. And he's not wrong. Never was. You know. Um... So, obviously, Chewing we've just spoke about, predominantly aimed at the acute phase. We've got new bone growth. The joints fusing was pain. We're shooing to try and alleviate that pain and, you know, help the horse move. Obviously, just to finish on, obviously, like the more chronic phase of this, so the fusing stopped. We've had a loss of movement or loss of function with one or two of those joints within the major joint. That's um, when you get that really short and cranial phase. Yeah. You know, that's traditionally where we used to see a lot of toe dragging. Yeah. Um, and sort of loss, not, not complete loss, but certainly a loss in function of the joint. Yeah. I see a lot of horses that when they get to that stage, not only do they drag the toe a little bit, but they actually bounce the toe off the floor. Mm. When you slow them down, like on a video or something, and you watch them, they'll actually bounce the toe off the floor. And I've, I'm not, I'm not a Lily Clayton or anybody like this, but I, the thought I have when I watch this is because that cranial phase of the stride is so short, the horse has got to try and gain some impulsion from somewhere. Mm. It's like double tapping. Yeah, to, to get the foot where it, it wants it to be, so it bounces it. And you see then a lot of that causes that damage to the yeah, toe. Yeah. You see that squared off toe. Yeah. We call, we call it the Barnes-Wallace manoeuvre. Yeah. yeah. The bouncing bomb. bomb. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I mean, and again, traditionally, that's where you kind of slightly graduated shoe, wedge pad, yeah. that kind of affair. Maybe just um, leave your heels up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's... Who was the who was that horse we used to at college? Oh, I think Chestnut one. Yeah, I think he's dead now. Yeah, but that that was very that cool. was very much like that, wasn't it? In fact, yeah. we put some traditional like well, the traditional type of spank but it's a concave on it. Mm, I can remember I can remember putting like a graduated lateral extension on it once. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I know which one Grant you're talking Moonlight, about. Grant Moonlight on Facebook, so it must. Yeah, be. yeah. But yeah, it's um, but again, you know, it's just keeping them comfortable. I think you know, yeah. and protecting the foot as much as you can. I mean, it is what it is. It's one one term that I get is another bugbear. <laughs> one term I do get a little bit distracted by is oh, once the joints are fused, it's sound. No, it's not. No, it depends on what your class is lameness. Yes, the may, the pain may have gone. But it's still mechanically yeah, unsound. Absolutely, totally, totally agree with you. You know, it's it's not the normal way. Well, it's, no, it's, it's, it's gauge changed permanently, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. So you just accommodate that for me. You know, and again, even just fit shoeing the horse. You know, making sure the balance is correct and shoeing it with a well fitted, 
broad, nice broad section. Yeah, just, again, depending on the type of work the horse is doing. Yeah, you give, know, give, give it some comfort. As much as we can when we shoot, give it some comfort. Now, one of the things I will say before we wrap this up is you get a lot of these horses with these jointy problems, and I think one of the worst things you can do for these horses is start whacking road pins in them. <laughs> you know my take on that. I mean, the amount of... I remember, again, when I was shoeing more commercially. <sighs> yeah, yeah. The amount of vet jobs I were going to because it had gone lame and... The first, I'd, I'd, I'd assess it. The first thing I'll do, right, those pins are coming out. Yep. And then you'd chew it, you try it up, it goes a lot better. And then in the end, it goes, oh, you've not put my rope pin in. Yep. Why do you need rope pins? Well, it slips when I go down the big hill when I leave the village. Well, go. Don't go down the big hill one. Go out the other way. Yep. Go on the grass verge. Yes. You know, do you want a sound horse or do you just want to keep riding yeah. up and down that same bloody hill? And we, we, see, we see it, and, and like Facebook's another great example of. I'm not going to mention any names, but I saw a beautiful job a guy put on there. Must have been a year or two ago. He made a beautiful lateral extension on this horse and then stuck rope pins in it. And it's like, what? Why? What have you done? You've just you've just counteracted everything you've tried to do. Mm. You know, you've just contraindicated yourself so much. It's... it's, it's, it's is that not thinking, I think? Well, I think sometimes, I mean, it's just, again, it's kind of... Horse owners moan about, and I've seen this a lot, where there's horses, which address our horses, they go on an arena surface, don't go anywhere else. And they've got road pins. And yeah. the reason that Farry put road pins is on the request of the horse owner, but... You know, if 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 they ask for something, can we can charge them more money than we're going to do it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But because it slips on the concrete going from the stable to the arena, <laughs> not that it ever goes on the road or anything like that. No, but no. that pins because to they took it. the cheap concrete option as yeah. opposed to the block paving or whatever other yeah, thing yeah, they could have yeah. had, it now slips going the ten meters from its stable to the outdoor school. So, no so he's now got rope pins in. Big massive pins in. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I just I just think, you know, anything which you know, we've talked a lot about reducing concussion, anything which is going to cause for even more Well, the placement, I mean, you you're doing this study on the placement of studs. I mean, same thing, placement of pins to me is something that's not really well thought about. No. You know, and I, I think we talked about it before when, I, when you know, we were talking where, where I place them. I tend to place them on the inside of the shoe, on the inside web, not far from the last nail hole. So the horse can still land slightly ill first and slide that little bit. And then the pins only really come into play when the foot's flat. Yeah. And then there's that whole one pin or two pin, you know. One, but don't, don't go down the road and one pin. <laughs> <laughs> I still see it. I, t- I took a set of shoes off the other day with a wind, and I'm like, "Why?" Yeah, but you say that now. I I do it, especially on front feet. But I put it on the inside. Yeah, I can see that, not on the outside, because I want that to happen, not the other way. But I don't necessarily want that to happen. But I'd rather have a bit of that. Yeah. But if it's yeah, there, yeah. that bit's always going to land. 
first. Yeah. So don't make it land first or quicker. But like we were talking, you know, oh, I gonna, now I'm going to say about because you're still working on it. That's not fair. Mm. Um, so we'll cut that bit out. That's all right. But, but, but you, you know, you, you, your studs, and you know, you if you're going to use one stud, put it on the inside, not the outside. Mm. Not, I totally agree. Yeah. But again, we've got that thing as we don't do that because it might stand on itself. And I, like because I said, we've never done it. That's why. Yeah, but the, people get, look at it when they have injuries, and most injuries I've seen where horses have had two studs in and they've trodden themselves on the ins with the inside stud and caused themselves like a coronary band injury, was because the horse owner. Or say the lazy horse owner decides to, ah, <laughs> oh, I'll take them out when I get home. So they travel them on a horse yeah. box with the studs, with the studs still, still in, yeah. and they're going around corners, and the horse is going, right. Yeah, yeah. That's when they travel themselves. Yeah, bang. There you go. You know, but, you know, food for thought. Yeah. Oh. Um, so, prognosis, just to finish on, I always like to finish on a good note. Prognosis. <laughs> good uh, prognosis is a good note. <laughs> well, it depends. Um, so, really, Obviously, as we've discussed, bone spamming is a chronic condition. Yeah, it's DJD. It's only going to ever get worse. But it's going to get... In a lot of cases, there is an end result. There is yeah. an end game. It will get, it's going to get worse, and then it's going to stop getting worse. But we're going to end up with this chronic loss of loss of function. Yeah. Or full full use of the joint, if you like. You know, it's still going to bend, but not as much. I mean, to me, prognosis... Depends on what the horse's job is. Yeah, absolutely. If it's low-grade work and happy acker and just does a little bit of low-grade stuff, the prognosis is good. If it's a sport horse that's climbing the ladder, then the prognosis is guarded. Mm. If it's a top-end horse that's already climbed the ladder, then the prognosis is actually poor. No, exactly. But again, the carry out of that is how many times do you see these famous top level sports horses, especially dressage, they get, they have like, you see it in the horse and hound, you know, oh, so-and-so's finally retired, you know, after he's done five Olympics and he's got two gold medals and blah, blah. Yeah, he's a horse of a lifetime for so-and-so. And then, yes, it's going to have a nice retirement now. Within six months, he's had a tragic accident in the field and it's now dead. Mm, yeah, go well. What's really happened is... is they took all the drugs off it. <laughs> exactly. For drugs to stop working because they're not giving it to it anymore. Because why would you? And now it's all four wheels have just fell off. In, 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 yeah, it's, 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 you know, yeah, it's crazy. And, yeah. you know, and I know, I know a lot of talk... Um, and I've spoken to Claire Brown about this a lot, and there's a lot of talk in the horse industry at the moment about this whole social licensing thing. Yeah. Is that, with sports horses, ethical? Mm. And I think that is something the industry, certainly the equine industry... Yeah, it needs to get a group of them. Well, I think it's a conversation. I mean... Needs needs having. I know someone brought it up at the steering group meeting yesterday um, that, you know when they was asking where do we see Farry in 10 years it's a question it's some. It's something which is on the horizon yeah, yeah. you know some countries have started banning certain sports you know there's a tool is it actually going to be an Olympic is equitation going to be an Olympic sport 
in the future as well. You know, after the last Olympics with the um, modern pentathlon, oh, whatever yes. it was. Um, so, you know, again, we've got to be quite guarded about this kind of treatment of sports horses sometimes. We have, really. Um, we've just got to... Things have got to be ethical. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, when you get into the upper echelons of any sport, whether it's human or animal, abuse takes place to push for that little bit extra. Don't mention the Russians. I never mention the Russians. Just don't mention the Russians. They're always listening. Yeah. So. We'll right, blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we'll end it there on that bombshell. So I'd like to say a massive thank you for my good friend, Wayne, sitting down for a couple of hours and go through spamming. Um, keep an eye out. Like I said, very busy time at the moment. I've got a few of these lined up. And we've got a few projects coming out of this as well um, soon. So keep an eye out and hopefully see you soon.